Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the expectations that our God might have of us. I was explaining that he revealed his expectations by giving us the commandments through Moses. He revealed his expectations by giving us the commandments through Jesus. And if those aren't enough, I'm sure your church will give you some more expectations by giving you more commandments or more laws or more principles for daily life that are applicable in the modern age. That the whole scope of religion is generally focused on expectations. And in the previous program I was talking about this, I was explaining that many people live as if God has these expectations of them, not realizing that, first of all, they are not going to succeed. To meet these expectations that they believe that God has of them, and what I was explaining is that our God is not going to be surprised at our failure, that his expectation is not really an expectation of holiness, But it is actually an expectation of failure. That's what I believe, because if he does not expect us to fail, if he's not expecting us to fail, then he's definitely going to be disappointed, because that is what is going to happen. We are going to fail. And I personally do not believe that he's going to be surprised about this. I really do believe that he knew that we were going to fail. And one of the indicators is that he provided the means of forgiveness before we even got started in this pursuit. He created this world through the Lord Jesus, which means that he created this world with the knowledge and understanding and expectation that the world would have the need for a Savior to provide mercy for all of us, for the entire world, because the entire world is going to fail to live in obedience to our God. The world is going to fail to meet his expectations. And so his expectation must have been that we would fail to meet these defined expectations as he presented them through the law, that we did not catch him by surprise, but that he fully expected us and provided the means of forgiveness before we even attempted to do so. So in this program, I would like to speak about this subject from a different point of view, and that is from our point of view, looking to our God in the sense of what might we expect of him. In the previous program, I talked about his expectations of us and that in the end, he fully expected us to fail. But what about our expectations of God? How do people look at their God and what do they really expect of him? Now, this is a very important question to ask because in many ways, this is how the world functions. For example, there were many times before I came to know the Lord where I would get up in the morning and I would think about my day and think about it in the context of what am I going to do today in order to obtain the most I can out of this world? What am I going to do so that I can get as much as I possibly can, not only out of my day, but out of everyone else who I may come in contact with? How can I live to really take advantage of the world that is in front of me and obtain and acquire whatever I can for my own personal benefit? 
This is an attitude that many people have when they engage the world. And while they may not be willing to say it so directly or so overtly, if you were to journal their life, if you were to explore what their life has been like, you should be able to recognize that in many ways this is how people live, that this really is what people are about. They are about trying to do whatever they can for themselves. Sometimes this is hidden in the context of doing things for other people, but in reality they do things for other people because they want to feel good about themselves or because they want other people to be indebted to them, to owe them something in return. And of course they will call upon them someday to ask them to repay this debt that this person supposedly owes them. A lot of people function this way, and sometimes it takes a while for it to be realized, but eventually it will show itself. Many people live this way. They live in the world expecting to get something out of the world. And so when you talk with them about their God, that there is a God, and you talk with them about turning to him, about having a relationship with him, it's not unusual for people to think to themselves or wonder to themselves, what are they going to get out of this? I mean, think about it. If there is a God and he wants you to turn to him, why should you bother doing that? I mean, if you have a pretty good life as it is, for example, if you have a lot of opportunities that you can pursue in your life, then why bother taking time out to pursue a relationship with a God? Why take time out of your day? Why take away from the opportunities that you could have to do other things? Why pursue that? What are you going to get out of it? This is how a lot of people approach their God, is that if they are going to approach him, if they are going to pursue him, if they are going to devote any time in their life to discover their God in any way whatsoever, then they want to know what they are going to get in return. And while many people may not say this directly, indirectly, this is what a lot of people think. This is how many people think. They want to know what they're going to get out of this. Sometimes this shows itself in the circumstances when people come to know the Lord. Most of the time people turn to him when they're experiencing a lot of suffering or loss or failure. When things go wrong, when things get really bad and they have nowhere else to turn, who do they turn to? They turn to God. Why? Because they expect to get something from him. That's one of the ways that this is realized. They turn to him because they want him to make things right. They can't make things right on their own, and they can't get anybody else to make things right, and so they turn to God expecting Him to do something. This is an attitude that people have, that they look to God expecting Him to do something for them. And if He does not, then He is not worth the time. He is not worth the effort. Don't even bother. This is how many people think. Sometimes we advertise him in that way. Sometimes when we talk to people about the Lord, we take advantage of the sufferings in their life and we present him in that way, saying, don't worry, your God is waiting to give to you all that you have a need for. So expect him to give you all the things that you have a need for. Or sometimes we tell people that he will cause all things to work together for good for those who love him. We can quote that scripture in that context, and so people will turn to him for that reason, and they will say, okay, all right, fine, everything is a total disaster in my life, but I will trust you, I will believe you, that God will find a way to do something for me, and I am going to expect him to do so, and if he doesn't deliver, 
in a timely manner. I'm going to turn away from him. I'm going to reject him. This is how a lot of people relate to their God. They relate to him in the context of their expectations of their God. And so in the previous program, I was talking about God's expectations of us. But in this program, I want to focus on this idea that we have expectations of him. Now, when it came to his expectations of us, the end result was he just had to provide us with forgiveness because we weren't going to meet those expectations. But when we have expectations of our God, well, now that's a different story. He had better deliver. He shouldn't fail us. We shouldn't find ourselves in a situation where we have to provide him with forgiveness. He shouldn't be coming to us to ask us for mercy. He should fulfill our expectations. He should fulfill and deliver. He should make a delivery of whatever we think he should deliver. That's how a lot of people approach their God. And there are reasons for this. It's not as though people just make this up out of their own minds. Like I said, sometimes in the context of evangelism, we give people this impression that that is how our God relates to us. But there's more. We can also point to the scriptures. For example, in the law, in the law of Moses, the Lord said that if we were to obey all of the commandments, then he would provide us with plenty of flour in our kneading bowl. We would lend and not borrow. Our children would not be consumed by wild animals. There are some wonderful things that he told us in the law that we would receive, that would be in our lives if we were to obey all of his commandments. And so it's reasonable to expect him to deliver on these things. But sometimes when these things don't get delivered, especially in the way that we expect them to be delivered, then we'll turn to him and we will say, you failed. You failed, or maybe you don't even exist at all. Maybe this was all just a bunch of false promises of a false reality that is nothing more than another scam or another deception in my life, and so I'm going to turn away from religion altogether. This is what happens, folks. Do not underestimate what I'm telling you. I encounter people all the time who struggle with this. I'm not just making these things up. I'm telling you this from my own personal experience over years of discussing these things with a number of people, with lots of people all over the world. This is a very popular idea that people have, that they have expectations of God, and they expect him to deliver. But the real issue is, is that when he gave us those promises, when he offered those blessings, he told us that we would have to obey all of the commandments. He didn't say just do some or just do your best. He said all. Well, who's going to do all? No one is going to do all. And so it wouldn't really matter what he promised in that context. He could have promised anything. He could have promised, look, I'll tell you what, if you obey all the commandments, I will make you king of the earth. And in addition to that, I'll make you king of the moon and five other planets that you want to pick out, some of which people don't yet even know exist. You can have those too if you will obey all the commandments. He can promise anything. He can offer anything. And it can be very convenient to do so because there's no way that we would fulfill our end of the bargain. There's no way that we would meet his expectations. But people have a really hard time with this. They really do because they really want to get something out of this relationship with their God. They really want to get something out of him. There's got to be some incentive of some kind. Otherwise, it's just not worth their effort or their time. That's how people approach their God. They approach him with these expectations. Now, I understand that our God used the law and he used the promises and he used the blessings and he used the curses as well in order to draw people to himself. 
And so when I say he could promise them anything because he would know full well that he would never have to deliver anyway, I don't mean that to say that God was just being rude or he was being playful or something. I'm saying it in this way in order to exaggerate the reality that whatever it takes to turn people to the Lord should be used. I mean, whatever it takes. I mean, if it takes blessings in the flesh in order to get you to turn to him to at least get started, I think it's reasonable. I personally think that the Lord did that. And so if we do that, I'm not necessarily going to condemn it. Now, I have to be honest with you, I generally don't use it myself, but I know lots of people who do, and I'm not going to condemn them for that. I'm not going to say that they're giving people false expectations. Instead, what I'm going to say is that he will use our depravity, he will use our fleshly desires even, in order to turn us to him, knowing full well that if we will turn to him and if we will sincerely pursue him, for who he is, that he will eventually change us, that he will do a transformation within us in such a way that he will give us new desires. And so I think it's a reasonable approach. I think that he did that for the purpose of reaching out to everyone in every way possible. And so I'm certainly not intending to ridicule this methodology or this approach that people take. Instead, what I want to focus on is the fact that people have expectations and they are not necessarily unrealistic because our God gave us promises. He gave us many suggestions that would lead us to the point of having expectations of him. And sometimes I still do this in some ways. Sometimes I'm misunderstood, but sometimes I do talk about the Lord in this context, but in a different way. Instead of talking about these things in the context of the blessings in the flesh, sometimes I talk about this in the context of the blessings in the Spirit. That yes, our God does reach out to us in the relationship that we now have through the new covenant that has been established, he does reach out to us and he does meet needs that we do have in a spiritual context. For example, in the context of our need to be loved, in our need to be accepted, that we need to be loved, we need to be accepted, we need to have understanding in this world that we are a part of, we need to have some purpose in our lives. And I can talk about the Lord in that context, that he will provide you with perfect love. He will provide you with perfect acceptance. And when I do that, some people will then think to themselves, well, then he better deliver. He better deliver. He better love me. He better accept me. He better give me some understanding, and he had better give me some purpose in my life. People will then start to have an expectation of him that he will meet these needs because I told them that he created them for the purpose of meeting these needs and so it's reasonable for people to expect him to do so. And so people do look to him in the context of what are they going to get out of him from a fleshly point of view and people look to him in the context of what they are going to get out of him from a spiritual point of view. I understand that people look to their God in these different ways and it's perfectly reasonable to do so. I'm not saying that there's something evil about these things. I'm only saying this to tell you that people have expectations of God and these are expectations that people expect to be fulfilled And if they're not, then there may be consequences. The consequences might be that people will turn away from their God because he doesn't deliver in the way that they want him to. This is an issue. This is a barrier that's sometimes very difficult to get past with folks. 
One of the ways that I try to deal with it is by telling people to live with a sense of anticipation instead of a sense of expectation. To not really expect the Lord to do these things in the way that you want him to, but to anticipate how he might love you, to anticipate how he might accept you, and to live with an expectation, yes, but an expectation that he will do something, that in some way, in time, he will reveal himself to you. And so instead of thinking about him in the context of what you are going to get out of him, to not do that, but to instead look to him in the context of what he is going to reveal to you and to trust that he will do so in the proper way and in the proper time that is appropriate for the way that he wants to grow and to mature you and to trust him concerning that and to believe that when he said that he would complete the work that he began in you, that you should trust not only that he will do it, but you should also trust him with the way that he will accomplish that. And when you look at it from this point of view, I think that your expectations can be changed in a way that you don't really live expecting him to deliver something, but you live expecting him to reveal himself in the proper way, and so you live with anticipation. To me, anticipation is something that is very different from expectation because anticipation has to do with waiting patiently for the revelation, whereas expectation implies that if you don't get something soon, then you're going to be disappointed. And when you are disappointed, then there will be consequences that result from that, especially depression and despair. And I don't think our God has called us to him for that purpose. Now, over time, when we grow in our relationship with our God, We grow to understand these things in a deeper way, and we grow to trust him in a deeper way. This is a unique experience, and so I can only speak about this in a general way, that when we experience a relationship with our God in whatever way that is, if it's just his enlightenment and his revelation to us when we are reading the scriptures, or if it is him communicating to us and giving us insight when we're driving in our cars, he reveals himself to his people in different unique, individual ways, and I don't want to take away from that. I only want to say that when this happens, when a person grows in their relationship with him to the extent where they begin to know him in a deeper way, and of course this looks differently for different people, but when this begins to happen, then our anticipation changes more to an aspect of trust rather than anticipation. It turns to a level of trust where we know with confidence that our God is truly going to complete the work that he began within us, that he is going to reveal to us himself as he sees fit. And when we consider that this is the true and living God of the universe, our expectations of him will dissipate. They will begin to dissipate because when you encounter him for who he is and you recognize who he is and you see who he truly is, and you acknowledge that the living God of the universe is willing to give some of his time at least to reveal himself to you, the awesomeness of this, the awesomeness of the revelation sets you free from your expectations. You are set free not because you forgive him for his failure as he does with us, but you are set free from your expectations of what you're going to get out of your God or what you are going to get from your God. You are set free from that because you can be at peace with him. You can be at rest with him. 
And he is the one who does this work in our hearts. With some people it happens through his love and through his acceptance. With me it happened more through his discernment that he has given to me with relevance to these matters. People encounter him in different ways, and when they do, he does do a work within them to the point where people can be at rest, they can be at peace with him, and this anticipation can enter into this form of rest and peace to the point where if he never speaks to you again, if he never relates to you again, if he never reveals anything to you again, you can be thankful for what he did reveal to you. You can be thankful for the works that he performed in your life already. And you can wait with great expectation of what will be in the future. This is a form of peace and rest that we enter into in maturity, when we mature as believers in the true and living God, and we encounter him for who he really is. And when this happens, our expectations of him as a whole will begin to dissipate. So his expectations of us are removed through his forgiveness, and our expectations of him are removed through his revelation of himself to us individually. And then what are we left with? What are we left with when we come to a point when we realize that he expects nothing of us and we expect nothing of him? What is that going to look like? What kind of an experience is that? That's a very difficult thing for people to consider because, again, most of the Christian world especially is consumed with God's expectations of you. It is consumed with your expectations of God. What is this going to look like if people acknowledge that he truly has no expectations of us and we have no expectations of him? What do you have? What do you have left if this is the reality that we eventually come to? What is that truly going to look like and how are we going to define that? To me, this is a perfect description of having a friend, of having a friend in your God and of him having a friend in you. And this is what I'm going to talk about in the next broadcast, and that is what it means to have your God as your friend, and what it means for him to have you as his friend. I believe this can be understood when we realize that neither one of us has any expectations of each other. This, to me, is a true friendship. I have friends, and when I get together with my friends, when I spend time with my friends on the telephone or in person, we don't meet having expectations of each other. We don't look at each other and say, now, whose expectations are going to be fulfilled first? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? We're going to make our requests known to one another and we're going to start working down these lists that we have compiled for one another. And when we're done, then we can say to each other, we can look at each other with a certain degree of confidence and we can say to each other, you are my friend. That's not what I do. That may be what you do, but that is not how I relate to my friends. And so if we are going to refer to our God as our friend, as our best friend, if he really is, then wouldn't this be included in the relationship that we have with him? Now, if you do not know what I'm talking about, if you have not experienced this, then it could be that your friendship with your God is somewhat limited. And I want you to know it's okay. It's not as though you have to have this kind of a relationship with your God. I just personally believe that this is what he has called us to eventually experience in some way, at some time 
in our lives. But, you know, it's very difficult for people to embrace this, as I have tried to relate this to many people over the years. And I'll tell you why it's so difficult. The reason why is because people assume their relationship with God is defined by a type of scale. Whereas on one end of the scale, they believe that their God is relating to them in the context of legalism, where he has all these expectations of them, and they have got to figure out how to fulfill all of these expectations, that they have got to get all of the sin out of their life, that they have got to be obedient to God. And then you've got this other side of the scale where you have another type of God that people believe in, where he is this God of prosperity, where he is just waiting to dispense upon you all of the blessings that you could possibly receive. He is just waiting to give you these blessings, and all you have to do is figure out the proper attitude that you're supposed to have, or the proper scripture verses to quote, as if you're casting a magic spell or something. People look at him in that way, whereas they have expectations of him. So on one end of the scale, you've got a God who has an incredible amount of expectations of us. And on the other end of the scale, you've got people who have these great expectations of God. And then somewhere in the middle, everybody else fits in. Everybody else fits in this middle ground, whereas people are just trying to do the best they can to meet his expectations. And they suppose that he's just doing the best he can to bless them in return. But you have got to get completely off this scale, that this scale has to be completely removed from your life experience if you're going to encounter what I am describing. I am describing a personal interactive relationship with your God that is completely independent and separate of expectations, of your expectations of him and his expectations of you. And until you are willing to rest in his forgiveness for you, until you are willing to rest in the fact that he owes you nothing, if you're not ready to do that, then you will not embrace what I'm talking about. There's no way for you to embrace what I'm describing, God as your friend, until you let these things go. And again, it's easy to do when you understand his forgiveness and your need for his mercy. Putting those two things together, you can then begin to have a friendship with your God in a new way. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.